You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. But the Christian walks in their light because God is the light. The world speaks of love. They have no idea what love is. The Christian speaks about that which he knows, true love, because the Christian is of God and knows that God is love. The world touts their achievements. Look at me. Look at me. Look at all I've done. Christian lives in the spirit of the truth because the spirit of truth is living in him. Look what Jesus has done for me. In today's edition of A Sure Hope, Pastor Dave continues comparing the life of believers and non-believers. The lives of non-believers seem to focus on self, self-image, self-improvement, self-identifying, whereas the Christian life is called to bring Jesus into the equation and let Him work on you. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 John chapter 5 as he continues his message, The Real Christian Life is the Real Life. You are In his third chapter of his first epistle, in chapter 9, he says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Remember, he's talking about continual, unrepented sin, living a lifestyle of habitual sin. So who keeps us from sinning? What keeps us from sinning? Well, let's look at verse 18b. A tricky verse here, but... He who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Now, the words here are really confusing, really, really confusing words. The answer is who keeps us is Jesus Christ. He keeps the believer so that the enemy can't get his hands on him. So as I'm abiding in Christ, it's paramount that he keeps me from the enemy. It's like hiding behind your big brother. When you realize you are a new creation, you realize that you don't have a choice anymore. I mean, you have a choice not to sin. Pardon me. When you're a new creation, you now have that choice. The text is difficult to read, and it gives you an idea that you keep yourselves from sinning. Well, I can do this. I can keep myself from doing that. Hmm. I don't know about you, but I tried that. It don't work. It don't work. My flesh is pretty strong and always does what it wants to do. In the original King James, this is how it reads, and this is what you should think about. He, meaning Jesus, who is begotten of God, who is born of God, keeps him, the believer, and the wicked one does not touch him. You see what I'm saying here? It's Jesus that keeps us. It's Jesus that has us. It goes back to our position in Christ. If I'm responsible to keep myself from sinning, I'm in a heap of trouble. I'm in a heap of trouble. But as I abide in Christ, he abides in me, and he strengthens me. His love constrains me, and I am in him more than a conqueror, it says. When I am weak, he is strong. When I surrender to him, he accomplishes what needs to be done in me. It's not something I can do on my own. I can't wake up in the morning and go, today I'm not going to sin. Well, that works until I get out of bed. He says, the wicked one won't touch me. 
For my life is now hid in Christ. In order to get to me, the wicked one has to go through Jesus to get to me. If we are born of him, if we are abiding in him, when we, ha- we have the protection against the wicked one. Guzik says it's a unique protection that does not belong to the one who was not born of him. Knowing this gives us godly confidence in spiritual warfare, unquote. John wants you to know your position in Christ. He wants you to know that you are born of God and God has you and holds you in the palm of his hand and that nothing can rip you out of that hand, that you are secure, that you are knowing that God has you right there and that nothing will befall you that hasn't been sifted through his hands in the first place. He continues in verse 19, again, we know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So John points out that the Christians are of the truth. We know we are of God. God is truth. Everything about God is true. So we know that we are born of God. We are of the truth. We belong to him. And since we are bo- belong to him, we're born of him. And we know that we can live the life that is real. All this knowledge is coming to you from, from John saying, listen, guys, you got to get this. you got to let it sink deep into your hearts and know it and walk worthy of this. you got to walk in this light. What's going on? And he makes a contrast here. The world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The life in the world is not real. It's a world of fantasy. It's a world of make-believe. The worldly life is not the real life. My reality of my life is found in Jesus Christ. And yours is too. That's where the reality of our life is. In Christ, we've been set free from the bondage of sin. The world is still held captive by the wicked one. The wicked one has power over the inhabitants of the world. But we're not of this world because John just said, we belong to God. We've been given our freedom through Jesus Christ. We don't have to sin. The world doesn't have a choice because they have a wicked taskmaster. The evil one is in charge over them. Paul told the church in Rome that they were no longer slaves of sin, but they were alive in Christ. Again, our position. No longer slaves of sin, we're alive in Christ. Another magnificent assurance that is given to us. John says, you have to know this without a doubt. Put it to rest. Put it to rest that this has happened. This is now our position. We are of God. We belong to God. We have been blood bought. Our lives have new meaning. Our lives have new purpose. Before I knew Christ in my life, before he came in, I had no purpose in my life. I just wandered around aimlessly, trying to fulfill all the lust of the flesh, trying to fulfill everything that was evil, everything that was no good. And that was what my life was. It wasn't real. It was make-believe. It was a fantasy. But when Christ came into my life, I became this new creation. I became born again. I became in the spirit new. And behold, all things started new. It's like I I looked and saw things for the first time because of Christ. And that's the experience that we have. New purpose, new meaning, new value. I had no value in my life before. Now I have value because of Christ. I'm a child of the king. And I have all the rights and privileges as a child. And because of this, the wicked one now has no sway over me. He has no control over me. For my life now is hid in Jesus Christ. Folks, We need to settle this in our hearts. This needs to be settled in our hearts because this is the real life. We we need to realize that this has been settled and established. It has been confirmed through the word of God to us. It's a promise that we must claim, that we must take for ourselves. John makes his final assurance in verse 20 again. And we know that the son of God has come 
and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. We are in him who is true. And his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. John says we know that Jesus has come. How do we know? First of all, God's word tells us so. But we also have experiential knowledge. I know by experience that Christ has come. How do I know? I look at back at the old Dave, and now I see the new Dave, the new person in Christ. I see what I was, and I now see that I am different. And I look at the common denominator as Christ, just like what Mary said. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory, the only hope I might add. The truth has come to reside in you. Our knowledge of him through the word of God, our perceptions of him working out in our lives, leads us to this personal and continuous consciousness of Jesus Christ. We know him. We've seen him. We've seen him at work in our lives, and I have seen him at work in your life. I have seen Jesus in each one of you. I have seen that. I have seen him. It encourages me and keeps me strong and keeps me moving forward as I see Jesus in you, shining through you. We've experienced this. We've seen him. So that we too can say like John, we beheld his glory because I see his glory in each one of you. I see that glory shining through the glory of the Son, only begotten of the Father. We see that. We know with all insurance that he is genuine. He's the real deal. He's the one true Son of God. There is nothing artificial about him. See, all this is the secret of the real life that John has been talking about now for these five chapters. A life lived in truth, a life lived in the reality of the newness we are in Jesus Christ. Because we've met the true God through Jesus Christ, and we are in contact with him, we're in contact with reality. And we have fellowship with a God who was real, a God who was genuine. We have fellowship with him. It's interesting that the word real means original as opposed to a copy. It means authentic as opposed to an invitation. What has God's word told us about Jesus? John's own words. Jesus is the true light. Jesus is the true bread. Jesus is the true vine. And he is the truth himself. He's the original. And everything else is a copy. Everything else is only an imitation. And to top it off, it's an historical fact. The son of God has come. The son of God has come. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he's given us a gift. He's given us a gift. That gift is a gift of understanding, to know what is true. He says, I've given you the gift of understanding to know what is true. The gift is the Holy Spirit. You know what is true. Not only do we know him, but we are in him. We're not a part of the wicked one any longer. Our chains have been broken. We've been set free. We're now in Christ and he is in us. John's heart and his mind are perfectly satisfied with the knowledge of this, and he wants ours to be as satisfied as well. Are you satisfied with that knowledge today? Or are you still seeking? Are you still looking for that real life? Are you still looking for that Coca-Cola that said it's the real thing? I guarantee it's not. It's not the real thing. Jesus is the real thing. John described for us our position in Christ. Oh, you know, those who wrote the New Testament understood this. I'm always go back to the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Philippi. He says these beautiful words about his position and what he wants. In chapter 3, verses 80 says, And yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may engage in Christ. Here it is. And to be found in him. 
not having a righteousness by my own, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and be conformed and the, power, and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Did you hear what Paul said? That was Paul's desire, to be found in him. And I've said this before from this podium. What a great tombstone. Here lies such and such. He was found in Christ. That's what I want my life to look like. I want my life to look like that, to be found in Christ. I want people to be able to look at my life and say, Jesus, Jesus is there. I see Jesus in you. He's shining all through you. I see him. It's a prayer of my heart. It should be our desire as well, to be found in him. John says, we know. We know that this is the true and eternal God, and he has eternal life. We know who Jesus is. John declared that he was a man. But he was not only a man, because John also declared him to be God. Jesus is God. He was totally man and the true God and eternal life. Gusick said something poignant. He says, quote, John does not and we cannot promote the humanity of Jesus over his deity or his deity over his humanity. He was both fully God and fully man. Knowing all this, it sets up John's last admonition. It says his last admonition in verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Sounds out of place, doesn't it? But if you look at what he's been saying all along about real and fake, it fits into the contrast that's been going on. You have the one true eternal God compared to an artificial, phony, unreal, hollow, or fake God. You choose. I mean, remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? He said when he called down fire from heaven and they had the two contests there, he said, if Baal be Baal, you serve him. But if God be God, you choose. You choose. Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve. The idols on the other side of the river or God. Not many people that I know of these days bow down to idols of wood and metal, although there are ceramic statues around that get people's attention. But there are idols. There are many idols that come into our lives. Money, wanting glamour, notoriety, fame, all this kind of stuff. Colossians 3.5 even tells us that covetousness can be an idol. Covetousness. What is an idol? An idol is that which you serve, you worship. That which you serve, you worship. Whatever controls your life, whatever is the signal caller in your life, that is your God. If money controls your life, that's your God. If anything like alcohol or drugs or gambling or any other thing, sex or anything like that controls your life, that is your God. When things take the place of God in our lives, we become guilty of idolatry. And they can be good things too. Careers, advancement, family, these are good things. But when they take the place of God, they become idols. They become idols. This means that we're no longer living the life that is real. Instead, we've exchanged it for a life that's fake. We've believed the lie. That's what it means here. To the world, the Christian life is unreal. And our life is unreal to the world. The world is driven by their senses, seeing, feeling, touching, believing, emotions. The world only sees the things that are temporal. They don't see the things that are not real. But the Christian is driven by the word of God. He's driven by that which is real. He's driven by faith, that which is unseen, that which is eternal. This is why Paul told the Corinthians to keep their eyes on the eternal, not the temporal. The temporal passes away. It's all going to be burned up. 
And these idols that we serve, they're just temporal things. They're just temporal. And the world boasts of enlightenment. Oh, we're so enlightened. But they walk in darkness. The Christian walks in the light as Jesus is in the light because God is light. And while walking in the light, the Christian fellowships one to another. And the blood of Christ cleanses us from our sin. It's interesting, going back to our opening statements, the song we opened with this morning, is this the real life or just fantasy caught in a landslide or escape from reality? The next line says, open your eyes, look up to the skies and see. I like that. Remember when Paul prayed for the Ephesians in chapter one? Mark's been going through that on Monday night. The Paul prayed, he prays that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. Enlightened to what? Enlightened to the truth of who Jesus is and who they are in him. Paul had just gotten finished telling them of all the marvelous things they had in Christ Jesus and all the beautiful things that had been given besides salvation. And now he's saying, I pray that your eyes of your understanding would be enlightened to the truth of what has happened in your life, what has taken place. Paul desires that they would be spiritual. We are now spiritual beings being born of God of the Spirit. Behold, all things are spiritual now. To us, all things are spiritual. And the Lord is able to open up our eyes. He says in Psalm 119, of all things, probably won't read the entire psalm. We don't have enough time. But in Psalm 119, in verse 18, the psalmist writes, Open my eyes that I may see the wondrous things from your law. The law is his word. The law is his truth. The law is his knowledge. Open my eyes, Lord. How many times have we sung from this stage, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Why? So I can see you. So I can see you. Lift up your eyes, look to the skies and see. Are you looking for God? Are you looking for the one true living God? Are your eyes focused on the one true living God? Or are you looking for the temporal things that come at us every single day? Paul used this great expression when he speaks to the eyes of our heart. The heart is more literal than understanding. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Too many Christians have hearts but no eyes. They can't gain the knowledge and understanding. And too many Christians have eyes but no heart. God wants the eyes of our heart to be open so that we can receive from him the truth. Open our eyes to all that God has given us through Jesus Christ. Open our eyes and see. There's danger around us. We are surrounded by false things. We are surrounded by fake and phony things. The world speaks of enlightenment. But the Christian walks in their light because God is the light. The world speaks of love. They have no idea what love is. The Christian speaks about that which he knows, true love, because the Christian is of God and knows that God is love. The world touts their achievements. Look at me. Look at me. Look at all I've done. Christian lives in the spirit of the truth because the spirit of truth is living in him. Look what Jesus has done for me. This is the real life. This is the real life. God's light, God's love, and God's truth. Look up and see. The Christian endures. It says, as seeing him who is invisible. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Paul told the Thessalonians that the Christian has turned from the idols to serve the living God. Idols are dead. We read in the Psalms that they have eyes, but they don't see. They have lips, but they don't speak. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have arms, but they don't hold. They have hands that they can't touch. And it goes on to say, and anyone who worships them is like them. Idols are false, but God is true. The Christian has Christ, the son of the living God, within your hearts. There's no room for an idol. There's no room for anyone but Christ. John is telling us today to watch out for the artificial. 
Watch out for the fake. Watch out for the phony. Watch out for the imitation. Look to the reality of our life, which is Jesus Christ. As we come now to the end of this magnificent work of John, that the Holy Spirit gave him such utterances. It's my hope and my prayer that we have seen that the real life is there, and by living it, it is such a blessing. It is such a hope. And there is great hope and contentment by doing this, by living this way that John has told us. I suggest that you go back and sit down and reread John's words. Read it like a letter, from one cover to the other. Read it like a letter, five short chapters. It's a very short book. It shouldn't take you a year to get through it like it did us. And as you read these words, may you too find the truth in God's word. And may you find in them Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And may you commit yourself to him. And may you find freedom. May you find peace. May you find insurance. And may you find everlasting joy because that's what it's about. That's what the scriptures are about, having that everlasting joy that God has come to give you. Jesus himself said, I've come to give you life and life more abundant. That life that Jesus has come to give us is the real life. If you don't have that today, you can have that. You can have that life that is real. Laying aside the weight of the world. Laying aside the sin that so easy ensnares you and look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who the joy set before him endured the cross and despising all shame is now sat at the right hand of God the Father. Oh, Christian, that is our life. And if we knew that and if we were satisfied in that and if we were grounded and rooted in that, there would be a massive change in our lives. There would be a massive change in the life of this church. There would be a massive change in this area of New Jersey. We're all praying for revival. We're all praying that revival would happen. Well, how do you think it happens? It happens when the Holy Spirit quickens your heart to the truth. And you say yes to the Holy Spirit. I want that. I want that, Lord. And I'm open for you to give that to me. That I might walk in your love. That I might show others the love that you've shown me that I might have that life that is real through the Spirit of God that you've given me, that you died on the cross for me to have. That's what we need to do. That's what John is calling us to do today because we need to have that assurance. We need to have the assurance that we've been given to us through the words of this simple, small letter that John wrote so many years ago. And may I say that they are just as true as the day he wrote them. In fact, they might be more true now because of the times in which we're living the times in which we're facing right now, the perilous times which have come on us, the times in which there's going to be great struggles, the time of which there's probably going to be great persecution. How much will we be a part of it? We don't know. But my eyes are focused on him. My eyes are focused on him who will keep me, who has a hold of my life, and who really won't let go of me. My eyes are focused on Jesus Christ. And in him, I can get through anything that comes my way. I can be strong and stand up for him in anything that happens to me that comes my way. I can be strong in him. If I separate myself from him, all bets are off. But in him, I have the assurance. I have the assurance that he's got control of it. And I am ever so glad because for 43 years, I had control of my life. Boy, did I make a sham of that. But I'm different now because of Jesus. You are assured. This has been another edition of A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Thanks for tuning in. Sometimes it's helpful to know what your boundaries are, 
what the acceptable parameters are for living your life. In this book, John made it clear to those he was writing to the differences or contrasts between light and dark, truth versus lies, and Christ versus the Antichrist. These are opposites of one another, because like all of life, there is a constant reminder of good and evil, of sin and righteousness. Throughout God's Word, He provides clues and instructions of what things are good and right. He also gives warning of what's wrong and sinful. So John's writing is a reminder of the boundaries God's put in place for your benefit. This is not any kind of punishment or consequence. On the contrary, it's to give you more freedom and to allow you to live life to the fullest here on earth and beyond. Is your heart waging war between these things that John has written about? Are you wrestling between loving the world and loving God? If you'd like to talk to someone about the things that you've heard today, please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number, 609-884-5821. Keep looking to Scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. Feel free to listen to more messages like this on our website, assurehoperadio.com. Be sure to join us again next time here on Assure Hope.